be a wordsmith is defined as a person who writes, an author, a journalist, a person who commits their thoughts to paper. But I believe it is so much more. The ability to craft a story, to change lives, to transport the ordinary life to an extraordinary place, to put words on paper and awaken the imagination in ways the reader never dreamed possible. Yes, to have the ability to see what isn't there and make you see it too. To awaken the senses in new and amazing ways. To feel a cool breeze on a hot summer day on your cheeks. To smell wildflowers as they bloom. To taste a delicacy on a foreign soil. To feel like you've never felt before. Touching places long forgotten. Connecting with your souls in new ways. That's what writers do. It's my pleasure to host Speaking of Writing, a new podcast. Speaking of Writing is open for authors from all over the world. This gives us an opportunity to broaden our experiences, to hear actual writers' voices, hear what inspires them, experience their trials and struggles, and realize that we all have a story and they are all worth telling. I hope you enjoy this. Good morning, this is Rose Cushing, and I am the host of Speaking of Writing podcast. Today, my guest comes all the way from Ireland. His name is Damien Larkin, and his newest book is Red Blood Steel. Is that correct? It's uh, Blood Red Steel. Blood Red Steel. I knew I would booger that up. I apologize. <laughs> no worries. No uh, problem. <laughs> tell us a little bit about you, Damien. Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, I'm living here in Dublin, Ireland all my life. Uh, absolutely love it. Fantastic country. Uh, I joined the Reserve Defence Forces when I was uh, 16. So I enlisted about a year younger than I should have. But uh, it was because I really kind of wanted to do my part. Uh, and it's something that kind of shaped a lot of uh, who I am uh, as a young man, kind of granted me a lot of skills that I've taken with me uh, for the likes of in business, in kind of in my career, in my family. Uh, a lot of the things I learned back then still stayed with me. And it's something I've kind of transmitted to, to my writing career uh, in terms of not only just writing about military uh, kind of science fiction, drawing on my own experiences of kind of what I learned in the, in the Defence Forces, but also the likes of discipline and the will to kind of keep pushing forward when things are tough. So um, that's definitely one of the things that kind of shaped me, I have to say. Yeah, my husband and my son are both military, and, and I understand exactly what Brilliant. you're talking about. So thank you for your service. And, and to, to your son and husband as well. Fair play to them. So tell us about your writing. Um, how many books have you published? I know there's been quite a few. Yes, so we've got um, three officially out now, and uh, they're from Dancing Lima Press, and uh, that's a fantastic company in North Carolina. Yes. So uh, I've self-published my first book about two years before I published with Dance and Lemur Press uh, and it was an absolute disaster. It was one of those things where I, I had no idea what I was doing. I just, I had a, an app development business before that as a bit of a side project and it kind of went up in flames and I realized that all I wanted to do with my life was to write. So I basically ditched that business, kind of focused all my attention into writing, uh, wrote a book in about three and a half months. It was called uh, Children of the Dying, which was like a fantasy kind of swords and shields type of adventure, uh, mm -hmm. released it myself and it basically it crashed and burned and it was one of those things it was spectacular in how well it did for maybe two or three days or the first week and then just went up in flames but it's one of those kind of situations where I learned a lot so I'm grateful mm -hmm. 
for the experience. And looking back, I can see I made a lot of amateur mistakes. Uh, I took all the, the knowledge that I gained from that project. And that's what helped me kind of uh, write uh, Big Red, which is the first book that I uh, published, or published with uh, Dance and Lima Press. So it's trial and error. You know, I'm still constantly learning, even as I'm going along. Right, all right. Dance and Lemur, Diane Wolf is fabulous to work with. She absolutely, format, absolutely. She formats all my books, so I, I really appreciate her very much. <laughs> she is absolutely brilliant. And uh, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've met so many fantastic people in the writing community in all the years I've been doing this. And one thing I'll always say about uh, Diane is I learned more from her in a month of just interacting with her, just for after signing the contract with Dance and Lemur Press. I learned from more, more from her in a month than uh, about a year in kind of research. Uh, yeah. myself you know and not just about writing but about the business of writing which are two mm -hmm. very distinct and kind of different things so she's a fantastic person to know and fair play to her absolutely absolutely so tell us about your newest book and, and a little bit about that book yeah, absolutely. So Blood Red Steel, that came out in October of last year. It's the third book over in, uh, in the overall series. It's uh, a little bit more uh, military science fiction than um, the other one. So it's a bit more kind of in-depth in terms of uh, some of the, the violence and the action in it. Um, mm -hmm. It's a little bit different from the first book, uh, which was a first-person point of view kind of um, story told from the perspective of a, of a young Irish soldier who'd been sent to Mars, uh, finds out that there's colonies there that have been built by the Nazis. He has to kind of battle a lot of kind of uh, state intrusion and um, an evil kind of corporation who are trying to um, basically launch a gen genocide war. Um, mm -hmm. Books two and three, so Blood Red Sand and Blood Red Steel, they're, uh, they take place, technically speaking, before the events of Big Red, but because there's a time travel aspect that all ties in together. So um, in those last two books, it's a bit more uh, in-depth in the sense that it's third-person point of view. So you get to see a battlefield from different points of view and different characters. Whereas mm -hmm. with Big Red, it was only one kind of person's point of view. At least now you kind of get the points of view of different people on different sides of the battlefield. That's where we kind of blurred the lines between good and evil. We have mm -hmm. kind of people you'd consider like evil, maybe doing kind of smart good deeds. And the allies are the good, the good guys essentially committing some mass kind of atrocities and stuff. So that's something, a theme I like to explore as much as possible. Like things are never quite as black and white as we see them. And sometimes there's a good chunk of gray area in it. But uh, yeah, so I really, really enjoyed writing the series. That's, that's a good point that you make about how things aren't as black and white as you see them. And I guess everybody kind of walks that thin line between good and evil and justifies Absolutely. their stuff to themselves. So that very interesting point of view. Absolutely, 100%. And I think it, it kind of got inspiration from uh, my love of history. Uh, I'm absolutely fascinated with World War II. Ever since I was kind of uh, a young person, I just love kind of reading World War II books. And it's, there's, I mean, there's a lot of aspects to it. So little things like you have allied soldiers who are 16 or 17 or 18 storming the beaches of Normandy and thinking such a sacrifice that they made to overthrow kind of fascist tyranny and uh, how in a, in a lot of cases they were doing it for the right things but they were terrified and you can see it in the memoirs and in the stories how the reason they kept pushing forward was because of their mates so because of their platoon kind of colleagues and even though they believed in kind of the likes of democracy and pushing back it wasn't kind of thinking about their home countries or necessarily thinking about their homes but it was thinking about kind of the, the people to their left and their right and constantly pushing forward to achieve those goals and it always struck me as something even when you look at the, the nazi side absolutely some of the, the the stuff they did absolutely unspeakable genocidal terrible things but when you look at the founding members of the ss a lot of them are what you'd consider uh, family men so these mm -hmm. were people who kind of came from educated backgrounds who kind of had big families who espoused kind of 
Christian ideals, but then went off and sanctioned the mass murder of innocent civilians and the, the creation of the Holocaust and so forth. So it's it's really interesting when you kind of you, you think of like the Nazis being kind of stupid, you know, um, inherently evil people. But from their perspective, they were good, God-fearing people who took on this evil kind of almost satanic set of ideals and then espoused such horrible stuff that the world 70 years later still scarred from, which just blows my mind when you kind of think about it. Very, very true. And and how um, a good salesperson, so to speak, yeah. can convince people that are not as strong minded as other people to believe yeah. what they're saying. And once they believe it, they're 100 percent committed and, and it's hard to break that commitment. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that comes down to emotionalism versus kind of logic. So mm-hmm. it's very, well, I wouldn't say it's very easy, but a skilled kind of person like that, a salesperson, as I say, they have the uncanny ability to tap into emotions, you know, specifically mm-hmm. into a negative emotions to elicit a, elicit a response. So when you kind of drum up that emotions, it's hard then for the logic center of the brain to take over and say, hang on a second. Is that really true? Like, is like, are the Jews this kind of insidious type of people who are set to overthrow the world? world? Clearly, they're not. They're human beings just like the rest of us, you know? Right. But when you tap into that, that emotion of your country was stabbed in the back and um, you're in the middle of economic downturn, uh, with, which the likes of the 1929 um, Wall Street crash had horrible mm-hmm. economic uh, impact on, on uh, Weimar Germany. When you dive into all that stuff, it's very easy to kind of whip people up to a frenzy and say, that's the enemy and kind of drive them towards uh, what, what you really want them to do, which when it comes to these salespeople is often power or to, to get something off you versus them providing you with the service. Right. Absolutely. So how did you come up with your title? So um, I, to be honest, it took me a little while to kind of uh, come up with the original titles uh, in the sense that I wanted something that was snappy and taking Big Red, for example, I think the original work on title I had of that was something like Progeny of Mars or which is big, long kind of syllable kind of words where I was like, no, that's too clunky. It's too kind of messy. Um, and I wanted something that kind of for brand recognition would stick out in people's head. So mm-hmm. after kind of toying around with it, I came up with Big Red. Um, obviously, I've, I've never I've heard there's a chewing gum brand in America called that. I think I only taste the years afterwards when one of my American friends sent it over to me, you know, which was was nice. But I'd never really heard of it up till then. And I just thought of like two really snappy words. Um, and then tied it into the story where uh, some of the indigenous people on Mars will refer to the planet as Big Red. Um, and again, the logic on that thinking is when we call Mars Mars, that's from, you know, humans here on Earth where we've named it after like a, a Roman god. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're obviously not going to have that human influence to say, well, this is our planet, this is Mars. Uh, and I decided Big Red just sounded like like a good name for it. And I kind of yeah. used that kind of as a key then to expand into the series. So you blood red sand, blood red steel and so forth. But always keeping right. that connotations of red. Uh, again, uh, even on top of that, I remember reading um, a little bit about the psychological impact of the color red. Mm-hmm. How it's been known to increase the likes of your heart rate, which yep. is why you kind of have, I think, stop signs are red and anything kind of, you know, that's dangerous is, is normally colored red. Uh, and I just thought that was really cool and kind of wanted to use it a little bit. So hopefully get some hearts fluttering when they kind of see the name or the cover. And the, it definitely works. When I used to be in, in corporate world and if yep. I needed to be powerful, I wore red yep. clothes. Oh, nice. It, yeah. yeah. You know, something, it does make a difference for sure, even yeah. if it's only in my mind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes those little things can kind of boost yeah. you, you know. So even if it doesn't yeah. necessarily impact other people, psychologically it'll have an impact on you and you feel a bit more kind of in control and dominant or, you know, become who yeah. you need to be. So, yeah, absolutely agree with that. 
Yeah, there was a, a U.S. military unit called the Big Red One. My my son actually was part of that one time, um, and very well respected, well revered. Yeah, you know, strong strong unit. So that's cool. I can always like, name it. You mentioned did they have something to do in Normandy, like in World War Two, or yeah, yeah, yeah. They did. That's, yeah. They've yeah, been around to, uh, Nor- like ever. I think John Wayne was even served in that wow. unit. Real interesting history. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to look into them a little bit more. I distinctly remember seeing, I think there was a memorial somewhere yeah. over Normandy. I, I visited there about two years ago and uh, something, I think I, just the name Big Red One kind of sticks mm-hmm. out in my mind. So that's fantastic. Fair play. That's yeah, brilliant. definitely. Good good choice of, of words there. <laughs> yeah, um, thank you. <laughs> so as a writer, what obstacles have you faced in finishing your books and getting them out? What do you think is the hardest thing that you had to deal with? I'd say a day job. Uh, I'd say the fact that, like, I've, I've got a family, uh, I'm, like, married, I've got two children. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, they're my number one, they're my priority when it comes to everything. Um, so when it comes to working, I've absolutely no objections to doing it. Uh, I have a really good job. I'm really kind of grateful for the fact that I'm I'm engaged in work that I find satisfying and I'm except- exceptionally good at. But the thing is, my heart isn't in it. Like, all I want to do is be a writer. So given yeah. half the chance, I would spend 8 to 12 hours a day just typing away. Um, where it stands now, I get to write on my on my lunch break. So uh, I'll have like say for example a forty minute break, a forty minute lunch, and a fifteen minute break. I'll combine the two of them. So fifty five minutes a day where I'm not eating food, I'm just writing, and then I'm going back to work and so forth. You know, so uh, it's it's just it's hard to kind of switch off, especially when I'm passionate about a project and I'm enjoying it so much. That's all mm-hmm. I want to do, but I have to go back. I have to kind of earn the the dollars and you know put food on the table and stuff. So I'd say I'd easily class that as the biggest obstacle but like i suppose it's drive as well because it's pushing me to to keep going because it's what i want to do i want to spend the rest of my life just writing i want that to be my career regardless of whether it takes me a year five years 10 years 20 years i'm not going to stop until i'm drawn a living wage from writing and i can dedicate dedicate my life to doing it you know writing every day is such a useful tool too because um i used to write for a newspaper and i had to write on command And I learned to do that. And that was yeah. really good because that way you, you're producing something every day and your yeah. mind stays in the project and you don't, you don't get writer's block so bad and you don't Absolutely. get procrastination as bad, you know? Yeah. So yeah. that's, that's 100%. a huge, good. It turned Absolutely. out to be a good thing instead of such a bad obstacle for sure. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, my, my worst fear is taking too much time off writing and just losing the spark, you know? Yeah. Now, I do agree with it. I think from time to time, you do need to maybe take a day or two if you're burnt out from mm-hmm. life or you just need to get, take a break. That's absolutely fine. Uh, and even the likes of Christmas, I'm, I'm always kind of refusing to kind of write on Christmas or the day after mm-hmm. Christmas, which is Stephen's day over here. Uh, I just need those days just to relax and kind of hang out with my family. But aside from that, it's constant go, go, go. You know, right. I feel weird if I'm not writing as well. So I think that's a good sign. I can't, I can't imagine taking a week off from it type of thing. You know, it's you sound like me. Uh, a day <laughs> is about all I can stand of, of not working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the writer's curse, you know, but you know what they say is like, yeah, if you, if you, if you're passionate about what you're doing, you never work a day in your life. I think that's fantastic for to have as a writer, to have that perspective of you don't feel normal unless you're right. You know, I agree. But yeah. So what's what's on your bucket list for your future for writing? What what's your next book coming out? 
So uh, in terms of ne next book, uh, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, I'm in between a couple of projects now at the minute. So uh, on and off over the last two years, I've been kind of writing two books. Uh, mm -hmm. One is a science fiction retelling of the, the First Punic War, which is uh, the war between Rome and Carthage. It's described as the first, the, the first ancient world war. So it was the first time you had these two major superpowers clash. Uh, for supremacy in the Mediterranean, and that was uh, about 200, uh, 250 or 260 BC. Could be slightly wrong on those dates uh, off the top of my head. But um, it's uh, I want to do a science fiction retelling of it to tie in with my love of science fiction and my love of history. So we mm -hmm. have that kind of um, edited now. I have it polished. I'm just kind of... Uh, looking at maybe self-publishing later in the year no dates confirmed at the minute uh, i had a second project then as well which is a, a fantasy so it's a swords and shield style of fantasy novel and um, set in a world where dinosaurs survived extinction and a mercenary company has to go in and retrieve that world's version of a t-rex egg to use as a weapon on a battlefield so um it's a bit kind of out there but again i have that kind of fully polished uh, it's just a matter of kind of getting the covers designed and kind of dedicating a bit of time to getting it out to arc readers to get advanced reads and kind of set a launch date so in terms of two projects i would like to say that i'm I, i'm going to have them published at some point later this year but mm -hmm. no deadlines at the minute just to kind of ease myself into it because it's the first time i've published in self-published in about five years i also have another book out on, on submission now at the minute where i'm trying to see if i can kind of nail down a uh a literary agent which i know was a very very tricky thing to do but i said look i'm going to give it a bash anyway it's been a few years since i tried Mm -hmm. And uh, that book is a, an uh, alternative, um, a satirical alternative history where it's kind of poking fun at uh, Vladimir Putin, the, the leader of Russia, and uh, mm -hmm. trying to imagine a world where he doesn't become like a tyrant in Russia. And he moves over to the UK and becomes a speculative fiction author and writes these novels about, you know, a superhero kind of super spy who takes down democracy and, you know, <laughs> takes yeah. uh, his fight against democracy into the heart of America and all this. So it's a... Uh, yeah, I don't know how that's going to go down, but look, we'll see. So, <laughs> well, there's an audience for about everything, so you should do well with it. Absolutely, yeah. You never know. You never know. Right. <laughs> we'll see what Absolutely. happens. Absolutely, you'll have the conspiracy theorists, people that want to read it to see what what's the newest conspiracy theory as well. So that'll yeah. work. Good. That'll work really good. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> One last question: What advice would you give to people who are trying to get into writing or are working on their very first book? Yeah, so I mean, it's probably the age old advice and you'll see it in any kind of writing blog and it's read as much as you can and then write as much as, as you can. Now, I'd add to that and say, um, don't kind of put yourself under too much pressure in the sense of um, everyone's got stuff going on in life. But on the flip side, also don't make excuses. If you have time to watch TV, you have time to write. If you have time to kind of um, sit down and go for a snooze in the middle of the day, you have time to write. If you have time to go for a walk, you have time to write. Now, I'm not saying cut any of those things out, but it's very easy to kind of give in and say, well, look, I'm tired. I've had a very frustrating day. I want to kind of sit down and play the PlayStation or play the Nintendo or whatever it is. If you have time to do anything like that right even if it's a hundred words if it's 500 if it's a thousand the more you do that the more your brain your body gets used to it and it kind of helps you set up a pattern then where you have that free time and you're just diving straight into it and i think one of the the biggest things i've heard from kind of people over the years is the phrase like i'd love to write a book or i have this great idea and i just don't know where to start and to them i always say is just write the first word that comes to your head 
then write the second, then write the third and keep going. You know, mm-hmm. it's very easy to say you've got an idea and put it off. Just dive into it, push yourself and see what happens. And maybe, you know, maybe you'll get a couple a couple of hundred words and you won't like it and then decide it's not for you. Or maybe you'll end up writing a novel in, in the space of a couple of months and you could be the next Stephen King. You never know until you try. So you might as well try. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, how can people find you and follow you and buy your books? Yes, yeah, so on uh, on Facebook, it's uh, I'm down as Damien Larkin, a uh, science fiction and fantasy author. Uh, on Instagram, I'm down as uh, Damo underscore Danger Man, I think. It's been a while, I haven't even checked my own handle. And uh, on, on Twitter, it should be the same. It's Damo underscore Danger Man. Um, and again, the only reason I kind of have that in there is because Danger is my middle name. I love kind of, <laughs> kind of making that kind of joke. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but you can find me there. You can also find me on Damien Larkin Books if you Google that, uh, or even just type in Damien Larkin author into Google. It'll bring up all sorts of uh, stuff uh, about my social media, about my website, about kind of different conventions I've attended. So uh, anywhere along there you can, uh, you can you can find it. Um, you'll also find my books on all popular kind of websites, the likes of Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, and so forth. Or you can also check into the Dance and Lemur Press website, where from time to time they do have seasonal deals. Um, the likes of around Thanksgiving, I think there's a two-for-one deal and Christmas and all that so maybe not this side of the uh, of 2024 but later in the year if you're looking to get you know a free book uh do check out the dancing Nemo website absolutely anything else that you'd like our listeners to know about you uh, no, just first off, I just want to say thank you very much for having me on and thank you very much for all your listeners from uh, for listening to this podcast and I sincerely appreciate everybody and uh, do feel free to reach out if anyone has any writing related questions. I love kind of answering questions, especially from newbie writers. Um, always feel free to drop me a quick message at any point. Um, but yeah, that, that's it. I want to say thank you very much for everybody. It's fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. And as always, Please. listeners, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Everybody has a story. Just let your mind drift away and find yours. I know it's out there. What are you waiting for?